It wasn't a film about 9-11, but it was about 9-11 because that motivated the, the fund. Um, it was a story about Feinberg, um, yet I didn't want to focus just on one man. And um, there were all these legal issues because I'm a law professor. And I wanted to be able to integrate all of that. Yet my understanding of film is that you must tell a gripping story. This is Lawyer to Lawyer, the award-winning legal podcast with J. Craig Williams and Robert Ambrogi. West Coast meets East Coast, and yes, they are attorneys, bringing you the latest legal news and observations every week with the leading experts in the legal profession. Produced right here on the Legal Talk Network. Welcome to Lawyer to Lawyer on the Legal Talk Network. This is Bob Ambrogi. Glad you could listen today. My co-host, uh, J. Craig Williams, was called away and is not going to be with us today. I'd like to, of course, thank our program's sponsors, as we always do, SunTrust, a company that offers private wealth management solutions for attorneys and law firms at uh, suntrust.com slash law. Also, Clio, the web-based practice management solution available at goclio.com. And LexisNexis, a leading provider of information and business solutions to professionals in a variety of industries where you can find more about, of course, at LexisNexis.com. Well, it's hard to believe it's been almost 10 years since that horrible day of September 11th. I I happened to to be in New York City that day, and and some of the images of, of that day are are indelibly etched in in, in my memory. Uh, it was a horrible day when when three thousand lives were lost in New York City after uh, terrible terrorist attacks. Uh, in a in an unprecedented action in response to that, the federal government within just eleven days created a a victim compensation fund, a fund designed to help grieving families get through the tragedy, uh, perhaps without uh, having to go through the legal system, uh, the court system in any way. And to this day, it remains the largest public entitlement program in American history, uh, involving some $7 billion distributed to more than 5,500 families. A documentary recently released titled Out of the Ashes 911 examines this victims compensation fund it looks at the legal moral and ethical ramifications of the fund and its impact on the civil justice system today we're going to talk to the uh, talk to a couple of the people involved in the making of that documentary um, and uh, and find out more about about the movie and about some of their impressions of the fund and the process that that followed out of that. Let me introduce our guest today, starting with the executive producer, writer, and co-director of the film, Marilyn Berger. Marilyn founded the Films for Justice Institute at the Seattle University School of Law in 1995. 
as a professor at Seattle University Law School, Maryland produces, writes, and directs educational documentaries with social justice themes. She previously co-directed and produced the three-film series Lessons from Woburn, or Woburn, (laughs) as we say in Massachusetts, a documentary chronicling the Anderson versus W.R. Grace lawsuit, which, of course, was the lawsuit that uh, inspired the book and the Hollywood film A Civil Action. So uh, welcome to Lawyer to Lawyer, Marilyn Berger. Thank you so much. I'm delighted to be here. We're delighted to have you. And uh, also joining us today is uh, Deborah Brown-Steinberg. Deborah is a partner at Cadwallader, Wickersham, and Taft in New York City. More pertinent to today, she's uh, one of the lawyers profiled in the film Out of the Ashes. She spearheaded a consortium of law firms in delivering pro bono legal services to 911 families. She worked with the Victim Compensation Fund to assure fair compensation for uh, in particular, immigrant and foreign national victims' families, and to facilitate fund claims process on death certificate and estate administration and fund distribution issues. Uh, as a result of her efforts, the Department of Homeland Security granted temporary administrative immigration relief in 2008 to qualifying 911 family members on humanitarian grounds. Uh, Ms. Steinberg has won uh, numerous awards and, and recognitions for her pro bono efforts over the years, uh, in, in this case and, and elsewhere as well. And uh, she, uh, as I just pointed out to her, happens to be uh, an alumnus of the same law school I went to, Boston College Law School. So I'm particularly happy to have her on the program. So welcome to Lawyer to Lawyer, Deborah. Thank you. And it's my privilege to be part of your program. Before we get started on our discussion, uh, we have just a, a, a quick clip to play from from the trailer for the documentary. So let me let me just get that started, and then we'll follow up with some questions. I got a phone call, and it was Danny telling me that a plane crashed into the building. And as the reports were coming in, uh, uh, I was saying to myself, "Why well, some fire? I wonder if Michael went, because I knew his firehouse would respond." Certainly, this is the worst environmental disaster in New York City's history. And she looked up and there was this just cloud of dust just heading toward them. In some cases, we saw x-rays where you could see huge uh, lumps of uh, debris of actual parts of buildings in somebody's lungs. Well, uh, I want to talk about the movie, but Marilyn, let me, let me just start and ask, what, just what are your memories, apart from the movie, what are your memories of September 11th? Where were you that day? What were you doing that day? Um, I was eating breakfast. I was on the West Coast. Um, I live in Seattle, and I got a call from my editor uh, from my Lessons in, from Woburn film, and she said, the world is coming to an end, and turn on the television. So we did, and then I saw these burning buildings, um, but I, it didn't really register until the, I saw the plane hit the Pentagon, and that's when it totally registered that maybe it was the end of the world. It did seem that way, I think. It, it, Deborah, what about you? What, what are your, your memories uh, of, of that morning, of that day? I was um, getting ready to go vote. It was primary day here in New York, and I lived on the 36th floor of a building um in midtown Manhattan with a southern exposure. I saw a plane hit the building on CNN. I went to the window and saw, watched as the 
second plane hit and saw the smoke rise, be carried over the East River into Brooklyn, and said a prayer because my stepson was was downtown, and we didn't know for hours what had happened to him. Luckily, he he escaped unharmed. Well, I'm glad to hear that. You know, it, it's it, it's just a, a horrible day, as as I mentioned in the introduction. I I, I was there that day as well. I was uh, around 30th and and could see could see the smoke coming out of the building. Saw the second tower collapse. Uh, just just a horrible a horrible day. Um, Marilyn, what inspired you to start the project that that turned into this film? Um, I actually was 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 affected just like everybody else in the country in fact the world um but living so far um i didn't know what i could do and i'm also a new yorker by birth i went i was born in new york went to school in new york and um felt really helpless um i attended a law school function in new york a couple of years later and i heard a speech by by Mr. Feinberg, who turned out to be the special master of the Victim Compensation Fund. And I went up to him and I said, have you thought of documenting your your efforts in the fund for history? And he kind of looked at me and, and then was very angry because he had been talking about documenting the finances, and he thought I was casting aspersion on his ethics. After he calmed down, he uh, he said, I told him it was, I was suggesting to him a film, and he should look into that. And he said, um, send me a proposal. And um, I had no desire, because I was still finishing up on my first set of uh, educational films, no desire to continue in any case. Um, but I was intrigued. And so um, after a year, he had finally agreed that we would be the ones that he would select because he was interested in education. He was interested in the non-sensational way that we presented our work. And um, at that point, I couldn't back out. I had a responsibility. So I went forward. So so Ken Feinberg cooperated in this? And I, I, I guess I guess it goes without saying that he probably would have had to for you to be able to make it. Um, you can't do a film about the victim compensation fund without Ken Feinberg. He cooperated um, to the extent that he made himself totally available for the filming sessions, um, but he would not enter into anything to do with shaping the film, telling us about claimants, um, locating anybody for us. In other words, it was a hands-on approach. Yet, um, he was very, very good when we were filming because he answered every question. He never asked to see the cuts. He never told us what we should put in it or not put into it. In other words, it was our film, and he was perfectly content, no matter how it portrayed him, that you know he would live or die with the film. Um, and that's the way he acted, so he was, he was very honorable. Deborah, well, let me ask you about the the victims' compensation fund. I mean, how did how did this come to be, and and how did you come to be involved in it? Well, like Marilyn, right after nine eleven, or actually, the day of nine eleven, I sat there and I saw the horror unfolding in front of my window and and on the television, and I, like her, and like so many others, asked, "What can I do to help?" and um, at first, I thought there must be so many, so many 
injured. I'll give blood. And then there were so few injured. And then I gave money, but that didn't seem to help me heal at all. So New York Lawyers for the Public Interest, which is a not-for-profit organization that serves the underrepresented communities in New York, uh, called my firm Kidwallader, and um, Kidwallader asked me to uh, supervise and run our pro bono project for 9-11 victims with New York Lawyers. The uh, mission statement of New York Lawyers was to provide whatever the victims needed for as long as they needed it. Um, as Marilyn said, early in the process, the fund was set up as part of a piece of legislation actually to designed to preserve and protect the airline industry in America, and it provided an alternative dispute resolution um, procedure for the, those uh, families who lost loved ones or individuals who were injured. And um, as a result of that, I worked with New York lawyers uh, and the restaurant workers uh, from Windows on the World, uh, the pot washers, the the waiters, the cooks, uh, the butchers, the the stewards, uh, families to attempt to achieve a just, equal, and fair resolution of their losses with the Victim Compensation Fund. And Marilyn, perhaps you could kind of set up the film for us, how, how you came at it. I mean, you focused in on, on seven families, uh, who were affected by this tragedy and and uh, take it from there. Tell us tell us more about the, how the film is set up in that way. Okay, that's an excellent question um, because that's the conundrum of this whole film is that this is a film about a program um, that comes out of a statute, um, regulations that are in 10-point font type, um, and a final report led by the special master and the deputy special master. And how do you turn that kind of a, of a process, a program that's on paper, into a visual film? Because films are visual, and they are also stories. So we grappled with that for quite a while in terms of the structure, because we had a number of different things in front of us. We had the elephant in the room, which was 9-11. Um, because it wasn't a film about 9-11, but it was about 9-11 because that motivated the, the fund. Um, it was a story about Feinberg, um, yet I didn't want to focus just on one man. And um, there were all these legal issues because I'm a law professor, and I wanted to be able to integrate all of that. Yet my understanding of film is that you must tell a gripping story. And the story has to revolve about around human beings. It's not just a, a theme of a statute. And so we then went looking for seven. We went looking for five families, actually. It then turned into six and then eventually seven um, to tell the story of the fund and the fund through their eyes with the legal issues embedded in their stories um, with the visuals of 9-11 that motivated all their decisions about the fund. So it's, uh, that's how I conceived of the fund and the, um, the, the film. And in, in, in telling those stories, 
does the film, you know, I'm sure the film asks a number of questions. It does, does it come to answers? I, I mean, do you, uh, do you reach a verdict, I guess, in, on the fund? How do you come down on this issue? Okay, we actually don't. This, this film is in the genre of true documentary filmmaking. Um, right now you have, you have documentaries that the public is aware of, um, that are made with a, a sole point of view. So it's just like in broadcasting where you have Fox News on one side, you have MSNBC on the other, and you might have an objective in the middle, which is CNN International. And, um, I wanted to make a film that would live the history, that would, would let people examine the issues, come to their own conclusions, and decide about whether this was correct or not. It does not give answers. It raises questions. And so nothing is resolved except, um, for a few minor things is that we, we, we start with the story and you wind up knowing that the person either applied to the fund or they didn't apply to the fund, um, and why. But the, the legal issues of whether they thought it was fair or not, um, whether they got resolution is really up to you to make a decision of whether the fund actually gave them justice. Because the overall umbrella of the film is, um, did they receive justice from this process? So there aren't any answers. Okay. And, and, and Deborah, your, some of the work that you did is, is included in this film. Uh, can, can you tell us about that? How, 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 did you, how did your work play a role in this film? Well, as I said before, among the many families that I was privileged to represent were the families of immigrant restaurant workers, uh, people who, whose loved ones, fathers, husbands, um, died in windows in the world. The immigrant victim community was uh, known for many years as the invisible victims of 9-11. Uh, many of them were undocumented and um, or by virtue of the fact that they didn't speak English or, or were not, uh, had no access to the media market, people really didn't even focus on the fact that, that they existed. As you said at the beginning, 3,000 people died. Well, often you'll hear 3,000 Americans died that day, and it's because we think of them all as Americans. But in fact, people from more than 50 countries died that day. So, what I did as a result of, of my representation of the immigrant families was uh, work with the New York City Bar uh, to first make sure that the Victim Compensation Fund treated all victims equally, that there were no second-class victims. Um, that meant that if, if you had a, uh, a spouse or a parent uh, who died, in the towers, then you should be treated just as everyone else, regardless of whether you were born here, your legal status or immigration status here, uh, anything. All victims, all victim families treated equally. Uh, we succeeded in that. Mr. Feinberg and uh, General Ashcroft uh, made certain that every family was treated absolutely fairly and equally. And then I represented the families, the immigrant families, before Mr. Feinberg, first in a series of test cases to um, put 
evidence into the record that challenged certain economic assumptions that he had developed based on a, a model of a U.S. citizen um, that did not uh, apply fairly to non-citizens or foreign national families, and then to present those cases to Mr. Feinberg uh, to, as I say, to uh, vary the economic uh, assumptions according to individual circumstances, followed by presenting individual cases to him uh, that supported the uh, the economic assumptions that applied to their community. All right. Well, uh, stay with us. We need to, to take a short break. We'll be back in just a few moments to talk more about, uh, about this film and, and the people who made it. Has the recent economic climate affected the financial goals of your firm? Get back on track with help from SunTrust. Our private wealth management legal specialty group works solely with lawyers and their firms to deliver unique solutions designed for the legal community. SunTrust advisors give you sound guidance on everything from maximizing cash flow and waiting through benefits planning to understanding how to retain attorneys and staff. Learn more at www.suntrust.com legal. SunTrust. Live solid. Bank solid. SunTrust Bank. Member FDIC. Hi, my name is Kay Kenny from Legal Talk Network, and I'm joined by Jack Newton, president of Clio. Jack is going to introduce us to the world of cloud computing and how it can be beneficial to lawyers and law firms. Jack, we're hearing great things about cloud computing and its utility for law firms. Can you tell me why so many lawyers are excited about cloud computing? I think the most important thing about cloud computing from a lawyer's perspective is that it gives them the power and breadth of features that traditional desktop and server-based software uh, gives them without all of the IT overhead and inconvenience. So there's uh, all the benefits and none of the downsides of traditional desktop-based software, and they're able to focus on practicing law with a really solid cloud computing platform behind them. So I think that's where you're seeing a lot of the, the excitement is they're now able to realize the, the potential of IT without all of the headaches. We've been talking to Jack Newton, president of Clio. Thank you so much, Jack. Thank you. And if you'd like to get more information on Clio, feel free to visit www.goclio.com. That's G-O-C-L-I-O dot com. Thanks for tuning into our program today. We want to let you know about something extraordinary happening in the legal industry. Right now, hundreds of independent attorneys just like yourself are working to bring a very special product to market. These attorneys are part of a development program at LexisNexis, and they are working under NDA on a brand new application that will change the way you run your practice. This solution, LexisNexis Firm Manager, is a web-based, highly secure application operating in SAS 70 Type 2 attested data centers. If you are interested in test driving LexisNexis Firm Manager at no charge, or to learn more, visit www.myfirmmanager.com slash LTN. It's the office calling again. Don't answer it. Why not? I'm listening to Legal Talk Network podcasts to get my CLE credit in West Legal Ed Center. Oh, yeah. I need to do that, too. Where do I find them? It's easy. 
Just go to LegalTalkNetwork.com and pick a program for CLE, click on it, and start listening. Or go to WestLegalEdCenter.com and choose from any of the Legal Talk Network programs available for CLE. That's perfect. The office can wait. Welcome back to Lawyer to Lawyer on the Legal Talk Network. This is Bob Ambrogi. My co-host, Jay Craig Williams, is away today. Uh, we are talking about uh, a film made about the Victims' Compensation Fund set up to uh, to compensate victims of 911 uh, terrorist attack. I'm speaking with uh, Marilyn Berger, Seattle University Law School professor and uh, and uh, director of the film, and with Deborah Brown Steinberg, an attorney at Cadwallader and New York City and someone who is very much involved in pro bono uh, efforts to represent the victims there. And uh, Deborah, you were just saying before the break that one of your goals in becoming involved in this was to make sure that all victims were were treated equally. Um, what's what was your impression? What what was the outcome? What did, what was your sense of the process? Uh, you know, as a lawyer who's who's handled cases in the courts and in other forums, uh, how, how did this fare? I think it was the very best of us. Uh, Mr. Feinberg met with the families personally. He heard about their loss um, from his heart. He reached out and he touched each one of them on the hand or the arm to give them courage or strength in moments of, of, of deep sadness when they were telling him about what 9-11 meant to them. And he enabled them to put their stories into the official record of 9-11. He, as a representative of the United States government, heard their stories and recognized their loss, along with the loss of the so many Americans who died here that day. He compensated them fairly and equally for their loss, and he gave them, um, through, through recognizing that each one of these families was actually the family of a victim killed in the towers on 9-11, he gave them sufficient identity that enabled me to go to the Department of Homeland Security and negotiate, based on a fixed defined class, humanitarian relief, uh, immigration relief for them. So in my view, again, it was the greatest that we are uh, as a nation, and uh, Mr. Feinberg deserves enormous credit for healing these families, not just financially, but emotionally. Marilyn, what was it like for the families that that you followed in this film that you that you uh, featured in this pro- film? What what was the process like for them? What what impressions did you take from them? Well, I, I started out, and throughout, I recognized that I had an awesome responsibility to them to tell their stories um, through their own eyes, not through anybody else's. And it was, um, when you make a film, you, you grow if that film is done in a way that
that gives dignity to the people that are your subjects. Um, it was very difficult because many people broke down while we were talking to them. And you wonder as a, as a filmmaker, um, is that too emotional or is that part of the story? And should we leave it? Should we give them, um, time to, to, um, to relax and get their wits about them? Or is that part of their way that they're always going to be and present them in that light? Um, each of the families was very, very different. Um, but each of them, I think, felt that we treated them with the dignity um, that they deserved um, because they were from all walks of life. I mean, all the way from, you know, the richest to the poorest. And um, I learned a great deal, um, but that wasn't the purpose of the film. The purpose of the film is if an audience comes away um, and the credits have rolled, that they have taken away something that becomes a little bit more a part of their lives that they hadn't thought about. And that's how I approached the film and the people in the film. In, in what about how they felt about the process, uh, the compensation process? I mean, do, do, they, do you think they felt that they were treated fairly by that? Um, in the end, we have, we have a chapter that's called um, Was Justice Delivered? And there isn't one single family member that said that they received justice. Some of them said that they received fairness. Um, and that's very different than justice. And Mr. Feinberg himself says that he doesn't believe for a moment that the families felt that they, they got justice. So I think what they, they felt from the filming, yes, they had to relive all of this, but I think that they had a better understanding of being part of a larger picture and that that was the best that could be delivered to them, even though that was not justice. It didn't heal them. Not one person felt that they were really healed. Everybody wanted something more that a government program just can't deliver. And that's a statement about the um, civil justice system and this particular process, legal process. Yeah, and, and that's important, the, the distinguishing between justice and, and fairness, I guess. I, Deb, Deborah, I mean, you say, you mentioned early on that this was uh, an outgrowth of, of a statutory dispute resolution program, but it, it seems that these uh, th- these kind of victim compensation funds uh, have have become uh, more, uh, more a kind of a standard practice uh, in the wake of this particular fund. I mean, in with Ken Feinberg at the helm of them, uh, the most recent perhaps being the, the BP um, uh, Gulf Oil uh, Fund. Uh, do you do you see uh, you know lessons in this film or, or or lessons coming out of your experience here that that have broader applicability or are they or you know are the facts of the circumstances of, of this particular fund so so horrible and so egregious that there's really no way of extrapolating any kind of broader lessons out of it? Well, interestingly. When Mr. Feinberg issued his final report on the Victim Compensation Fund, he indicated that he thought this was a one-off, that it was so tied to the unique 
specific national circumstances um, of 9-11 that it would never be replicated. And I think that Marilyn's film will become even more important because it shows it, it can be compared against future um, uses of the fund in different disaster scenarios. The one thing that I would say is in the Victim Compensation Fund, causation was presumed. It was presumed that if you died in the World Trade Center, for example, you died as a result of the terrorist attack on the World Trade Center on that day. In the Gulf Coast, on the other hand, causation is not presumed. It must be proved. And that makes the two funds incredibly different to administer and incredibly different for the claimants to to uh, present their claims. So the jury's still out on whether or not the model applies in a situation like the Gulf Coast, where causation must be shown. Mr. Feinberg is um, running into some issues and problems down there as a result of this and other uh, other facts that are unique to a primarily property damage, uh, loss of income, uh, no causation related um, situation as opposed to the wrongful death uh, causation presumed situation that he was presented on 9-11 with the Victim Compensation Fund. And I think the jury is out on, on whether it can be used in other, in other scenarios. Right. Well, unfortunately, we're just about at the end of uh, our time for this program. Uh, before we conclude, I'd, I'd like to give each of you an opportunity to share any, any closing thoughts that you'd like to, uh, and uh, also let our listeners know how they can follow up with you or find out more about the film. Uh, so, uh, Marilyn Berger, let me, let me start with you. Okay. First, thank you very much for um, contacting us and with the interview. Um, what I want to say is that the film is a nonprofit um, venture. In other words, nobody is is pocketing any royalties on it. Um, we can be reached at the following website address: www.outoftheashes911.com. No spaces, no caps. And then you can um, take a look at it. It's for sale for personal use or for organizations such as law firms that want to use it for a CLA or um, for performance purposes. So um, I hope it lives on. I hope it teaches us about um, whether you can transpose a process like this that it sits outside the civil justice system into a process that is truly fair and delivers justice in everybody's minds. Thank you very much. And Deborah Steinberg, uh, final thoughts from you, and how can well, we follow up with you if you'd like to? I think the greatest tribute to Marilyn's film is that my client, um, the spouse of a, a man who worked at Windows on the World, who's featured in the film, um, said when she saw it that it made her cry and made her feel better. And I think that's a real tribute to the film. Sometimes um, we as lawyers get so caught up in the in the legal aspects of something that uh, we forget that actual people are involved. But Marilyn didn't forget that. She melds people's stories with a very 
historic alternative dispute resolution mechanism and does a magnificent job. Um, if you'd like to hear more about my work on behalf of the uh, Windows families or the other families um, that I represented, uh, you can go to my firm's website at www.cadwaladder.com and look under public service. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you both for being on the program. And uh, the I know the, I want to mention the website uh, does also have a, a schedule, uh, follows a scheduled screenings of the film uh, as they're as they're scheduled around around various locations around the country that's been shown at law schools bar associations other places um, around the country so uh, thank you both for taking the time to be with us today really appreciate it uh, I, I can I can just hear uh, hear uh, talking to you that this is uh, something that's been very important to both of you and I really appreciate your your sharing your thoughts and your time and and for having done this project. Uh, that about does it for this week's program. We always want to remind our listeners that they can find uh, archives of all of our programs at the legaltalknetwork.com and uh, in the podcast library on iTunes. Uh, and also a reminder that uh, if you'd like to obtain CLE credit for listening to Lawyer to Lawyer, you can uh, do it for uh, at least selected episodes by going to LegalTalkNetwork.com and clicking on the logo for the West Legal Ed Center there. Um, Thanks again. We will be back next week uh, with another great episode of Lawyer to Lawyer. Talk to you then. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Thanks for listening to Lawyer to Lawyer with J. Craig Williams and Robert Ambrogi. Every week, a new legal topic that you won't want to miss. We hope you'll listen again and check out our other shows on the Legal Talk Network. The Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast, your resource for the tips and tactical advice you need to grow your business. Plus, keep up with the news and commentary you crave to stay one step ahead. It's hosted by me, Guy Sakalakis. And me, Conrad Som. Every other week, we break down the issues holding back your marketing strategy and talk about the changes you need to be prepared for. Check out the Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube.